Let's start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we adore you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be present in this place and in our lives. As Lord God, we seek to be channels of your love, of your blessing, of your healing, of your compassion to those, Lord, to whom you call us to be around, to influence, to touch. Lord, may we, may we radiate, Lord God, what, what the writers of Scripture said about those early disciples. They knew they had been with Jesus. May we, we be people, Lord God, that it's just so clearly evident that we have been with Jesus as we minister your love and grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the last three weeks, the effort, the intention has been to provide us just with a kind of a high altitude view of how Jesus involved in in personal ministry. And, And most of us have experience one way or another. We have good and bad experience. We have uh, great stories. We have difficult uh, challenges in some of those stories. But sometimes it's good just to see how did Jesus do it? You know, we know how we do it. We know how different denominations and ministry uh, organizations and, and televangelists and others have done it. But how did Jesus do it? And so just in a very brief sort of uh, summary of the first half of these notes is that one of these first three observations, one thing that we notice when Jesus actually ministers to people, when Jesus actually prays for a sick person or or, uh, heals someone who's oppressed by demonic strongholds or a a demon, when when he does those kinds of things, first is that Jesus was responsive to God's direction. That powerful passage in St. John's Gospel where it says that Jesus tells them, I only do the things I see the Father doing. I only say the things the Father gives me to say. And while that's not a completely, to our Western mind, a completely satisfying answer to the question, why doesn't everybody get healed? You know, at the same time, it is nice to know that even Jesus only did that which the Father was leading him to do, which means that you and I aren't going to be very successful if we're not just limiting to what the Father is doing. One of the phrases we used to use in, back in the, the vineyard movement was that we want to bless what the Father is blessing. We want to do what the Father is doing. We don't know why God seems to be present with His healing power in one setting and not in another, though we do see that even in the pages of Scripture, don't we? But we do know that perhaps in that one situation, maybe there are other circumstances there are other dynamics going on with, with family members, with unbelief. We, we just don't know why God might be nudging us towards something in that one setting. But we want to be like Jesus, responsive to God's direction. What's God actually nudging me to do? Telling me to do? I, you know, there's a, this is a, a true story, um, actually, that John Wimber told us years ago. He was flying on a plane somewhere, and he, he got uh, upgrade to business class and he's sitting on an aisle seat and across the way just you know so close on the aisle seat was a businessman uh clearly on a business trip had a suit on and they you know they exchanged pleasantries hi hi how are you doing and john said that for the first half hour of the flight 
every time he looked at the man, the word adultery just was like almost blazing on the guy's head. It just, he couldn't get that mental picture out of his mind. And, and like he said, it wasn't like he was looking for a problem with this guy. It wasn't like he was looking for a, a, a supernatural experience. He was just on an airplane flying to somewhere where he was speaking. And every time he looked over at this guy, he saw that word. And finally, he, he just, it, it, was, it was so troubling in his spirit. You know what, what those moments are like when you just can't get rid of it? That when the, the gentleman got up uh, to uh, get in line in the lavatory or something, John got up, unbuckled his seatbelt, got up, and he said, kind of up near the galley, he said, can I, can I speak to you for a moment? The man was a little surprised. and Yeah, and, and John said, forgive me if this is off, but does, I, every time I see you, and I was praying for you, I'm a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, the word adultery just kept being just imposed like right above you. And the man starts shaking physically, quivering, And so then John was able to take it a step further. This wasn't a remarkable word of knowledge at this point. This is just observing that maybe this is what the father is doing. And John said, are you on your way right now to this affair? And the guy burst into tears. And the guy, you know, we joke about this, but the guy literally has a come to Jesus meeting at that moment in the airplane. And he repents and he says when he gets off, he's going to immediately turn around and get a return ticket and go back home. Now, uh, surely there were other adulterers on that airplane. Just uh, statistics would probably indicate that, you know, if it was a large airplane. Am I right? Why that one guy? Because God was doing something prior to that whole event in that guy's life. And at that moment, John was the one who happened to be there and God was going to use him. You know, it's that, uh, that whole idea of... I only do that which the Father tells me to do. I only say those things the Father gives me to say. Being responsive to God's direction in a situation where it, you weren't even asking for it. You know, you weren't saying, give me a word for somebody on the plane. In fact, when I fly, I, I say, give me an empty seat next to me, Lord. You know, <laughs> I, leave me alone, everybody, you know, is, is usually what I'm hoping for. Secondly, Jesus was relational with those to whom he ministered. Again, just the idea that he didn't view them as a, they weren't a paralytic, they weren't a demonized man, it was a human being who had these struggles. And we need to treat them with, with compassion and touch, you know, and care in the same way that Jesus did. Then finally, Jesus was authentic and never manipulative in ministry. Don't feel the necessity to um, elaborate or, or um, almost... <laughs> sensationalize or falsify what's going on in terms of, of results. You know, it, it's such a... Uh, you know, the more, the more theatrical the healing prayer environment, the more, the more pressure you feel to make the results seem impressive. The more casual, or as we've talked about, learning to minister uh, naturally, supernatural, the more naturally the environment is, the less pressure you feel to make it, you know, uh, results-oriented. The only result is that we bring and ask for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be evident in that person's life at that moment. I can't heal them. 
I can pray for healing. I can invite the Holy Spirit, but it's God that's going to do the work. So uh, just be authentic. And so then we have this model prayer, the idea of just, just kind of a, a way of getting started praying for somebody. It wasn't saying this is the way to do it, but it was just a suggestion that you find out what you're praying for rather than just jump in and start rebuking stuff, you know. Uh, the second one is find out what we're praying about. The third one being, how are we going to then pray? Are we going to pray and ask for healing? Are we going to pray and ask for God's direction in their life? Are we going to pray a prayer of proclamation and and authority? How are we going to pray? And then fourthly, prayer engagement, where you actually begin to pray and ask permission if you're going to lay hands on the person. It's just appropriate rather than, you know, the... um, And we've all been in those meetings, right? You know, kind of make the person do something. And then finally, post-prayer ministry or follow-up. The most important thing is that they're not just sitting there. I think there's nothing worse than somebody who's so desperately hurting and they finally have the nerve and the courage to, to ask for or get in a situation where they get prayer. And then the guy goes and he does something, he prays, and then he leaves and he never talks to them again. And they're just kind of standing there. What do they do? I, I don't think I feel any different. Do I stand here and wait for more prayer or do I go back to my seat? Do I, you know, it's like, how about just talk to them? You know, I mean, make them feel like a person and then invite them to get prayer again. Let's pray for you next week. Let's pray for you tomorrow. Let's let me know how you're doing. Here's my email, whatever it is. And then finally, that was finally, excuse me, how quick that was. And so in, in so doing, this model, the idea of it was to just help the prayer ministry time be as holistic as possible. I would say more often, it's it's probably not a statistically accurate um, statement, but I would say more than half the time that I have started praying for someone with some physical situation, or at least half the time, other dynamics, emotional or other things have come out in the time of prayer. Would a lot of you say the same thing? I, I would say easily a large portion, if not at least half of the time. That may not be why they came forward. Maybe it took, maybe they still have the bum leg, but the bum leg was what got them to actually ask somebody for prayer, and that opened the door to all kinds of of other things going on in their life that the Lord can then focus in by His Holy Spirit, and you are there alongside serving and ministering, and God brings great freedom in their life and they still have the bum leg. You know what? That wouldn't be the worst thing. They have freedom in their life and still have the problem that they came for prayer for. So this this little model can just be helpful, I have found. So questions regarding just that so far, kind of a quick summary. Um, how has this sort of approach to ministry, prayer, prayer ministry, maybe helped you? Or what questions might you have? When you're asked to pray for somebody, particularly if it's uh, a hard one like cancer or... I say a hard one. I can't heal a cold or a headache, much less cancer. But the truth is we do feel a lot more uh, apprehension if somebody with stage four cancer wants prayer versus somebody who says, I have a headache. You know. So thoughts or questions initially? Is this, is this helpful?
Yeah, Joe. Yeah, we actually didn't have class the last two weeks because you weren't here. We said, Joe's not here. It's not worth doing it. It's okay. It's okay. Sure. Right. Nothing happens. Well, nothing apparently happens. Yes. And, and you know what Joe said for the sake of the tape uh, is the disappointment almost when, when they expect something miraculous to happen and nothing happens immediately, but helping them to get kind of the high altitude perspective of what God might be doing in their life. And, and to tag along exactly what Joe's saying, uh, don't put on them your, quote, disappointment that something didn't happen. You know, I mean, I... I don't think they're as popular today as they were 40 years ago or 30 years ago, but some of the healing services, you know, that we were all a part of, there's such pressure. Some, you know, do you feel any better? Do you feel any better? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't, but I, but I did. I was a Jesus freak, you know, we used to, and, and you would put, you so wanted God. I mean, the reality was you wanted God to move in their life, but there was such Kind of group peer pressure. Do you feel better? Do you feel better? You know, try. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, does your arm feel any better? I think it does. Wow. I mean, but just be so careful we don't turn it into our need for affirmation and our need for feeling special, you know? Okay. Oh my. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, oh, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. For the sake of the tape, um, what Melissa just said was, we may not always be cured, but we will always be healed. What a wonderful, I, I love that. What a wonderful statement. I wish I would have thought of that and put it on you know, print. Because we will be healed. The, the Greek word for heal, to heal, is therapeutic. We obviously get the word therapy, a favorite word of yours, I'm sure. And uh, Dr. Joe is a clinical psychologist, so you know he would enjoy the dynamics there. But at the same time, Healing is comprehensive. It really is. When, when you are loved unconditionally and affirmed and, and people in the name of Jesus bring his grace and his love to forbear into your life at that moment, there is healing that comes. Most absolutely there is. There may or may not be cure. You know? and, and even <clears throat> on a practical standpoint, we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, everybody's going to die of something. You know, Lazarus is the only guy I know of that had two funerals, two real funerals. 
It wasn't one of these, you know, um, uh, Mark Twain, uh, you know, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer fake funerals. I mean, Lazarus, they had a re- he's dead, they have a funeral, and then he's resuscitated, and he's alive, and then some years later he dies, and I can just, can you imagine some of his close friends saying, deja vu, didn't we do this once? <laughs> didn't we, weren't you a pallbearer the first time? Yeah. <laughs> but, and I make joke or light of it, I suppose, but at the same time, the truth is, the healing that happens, the, the physical cures that are supernatural, that, would, that we would look for even today, are signposts of a future kingdom. They really aren't, they're, they're the already but the not yet. They really aren't complete because the healing will never be complete on this earth. The scriptures say, uh, though our outward nature is decaying, falling apart daily, and those of us that are getting older know that feeling, sometimes all too well, and yet our, you know, the, the inner person is, is being renewed day by day, the reality is we long, just as creation longs, our bodies long for the day when there will be full resurrection and a new body that will not fall apart. But until that time, we pray for the power of God to come and to bring healing and cures and just to trust that God is sovereign in this whole thing. So I thought it would be good to just kind of quickly look at what sometimes we call, people call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the challenge with the word gift is the English translation gift. Because think about a gift. <clears throat> a gift is, um, it's given to you, you can use it any way you want. You know, I mean, if I, if, uh, if my son wraps up a new hammer in a box and gives it to me for my birthday, I can proceed to go and smash the windows of cars in the parking lot if I want, even though it's, it's a gift, I'm misusing it, clearly. And so we have all these, we can have these distorted metaphors of gifts. And the idea also is then that's my gift. You know, my little grandchildren have learned at a very early age, just as my, my kids did, but I'm seeing it again in the life of my grandchildren, <clears throat> the idea of personal ownership. That's why I'm convinced that communism is not a natural state for most human beings because little kids quickly say, mine, you know, as opposed to ours. <laughs> you know, it's mine. And at the same time, the word that we translate gifts of the Spirit, the Greek word is charism. And you, charis, you probably heard back here in town, there's a, uh, there's a school, Charis Bible College. Okay, Charis is simply the Greek word for grace. So charism is, it's the diminutive of charis. And one translation I like says, calls them gracelets. Little, little kind of portions of grace. <clears throat> and so I go back now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says the manifestation of the Spirit uh, is given to everyone. The gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, let's change it now. The gracelets of the Spirit drop upon everyone to profit the whole. That's different than I've got a gift, it's mine, it's not yours, I can use it any way I want. Mine, you can't have it. That's not the understanding in the scriptures at all of, of the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, let's just quickly glance at 1 Corinthians 12. These are, I think they're so misunderstood because they can really only be understood in the context of community. 
They really aren't primarily understood in the context of me, but we. So 1 Corinthians 12. Now about gracelets, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know when you were pagans or somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I'm telling you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's just clarifying um, that, that if you've got the Spirit of God in you, that, that, that he has sealed you and that, and that, that there was a lot of suspicion and a lot of, of uh, cantankerous attitudes going on in the, in, the, in the Corinth church. We see that earlier in Corinth where he, um, he says, I'm of Apollos, you're of Paul, you're of this guy, of that guy. So there were all these little factions and divisions. Um, sadly, uh, you know, the, the old joke, you know, make, make like a banana and split, make like a tree and leave. Well, what some people say, make like a church and split. <laughs> you know, because there have been so many church splits, right? And so <clears throat> he's, he's already addressing this, this tendency to be me versus them. And in that context, he said there are different gracelets, verse 4, different kinds of little diminutive grace portions. Now, that's difficult to translate, so we just came up with gifts, Okay. Spiritual gifts. But can you see how gift may not be the best? I'm not saying we change uh, terminology completely because most people would say, what in the world are you talking about? And you would say, oh, the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, okay. But can you see how problematic our English word gift really kind of is? You know, so there are many different kinds of little gracelets, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men or in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. <clears throat> to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, he gives them to each one just as he determines. The language is so all and everyone and to this one, to that one, to, and, and it, it really doesn't, in its context, fit well in this metaphor of I got my gift, what's your gift? That just doesn't seem to be the context. And so we talked about on the, my, our first Sunday morning here a few weeks ago, I suggested the distinction between a constitutional view of the, of the gifts of the Spirit versus a situational uh, perspective of the gifts of the Spirit. The constitutional one would be that old word, <clears throat> excuse me, gift. I've got the gift of healing and I pull it out whenever we have an auditorium full of people. I have the gift of, uh, you know, and then of course people always, people always want the gifts of healing and miracles Nobody wants the gift of giving, which is mentioned in Romans 12. You know, uh, Romans 12 also talks about the gift of leadership. But here, it seems to say to one is given this, and one is given this, and one is given this. Could it be that it's more situational than constitutional? Meaning that if someone comes for prayer and they have a, a particular urgent need in their life, and there's two or three of us or four of us that are going to gather for prayer, that the Holy Spirit is capable and able to s- sprinkle the gifts to one 
a, a word of knowledge, to other a word of wisdom, to another a discernment of what's going on, to another an ability to, to have faith, to speak with faith in the, in the prayer. You see this sense of, of a group, a gathered group of people ministering together with these gracelets flowing between them. Now, to add to the, the mystique of the verse, and I'm not trying to make it mystical necessarily, but in the, the first non-Greek translation of the New Testament, in other words, the first modern translation of the original New Testament, because it was originally in Greek, was the Latin Vulgate. Latin becoming the New World language. Greek, under the, the, of course, the Greek occupation, which followed um, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, Everybody's speaking Greek. Well, then that moved to Latin when the Romans took over. So <clears throat> Greek was replaced by Latin as the world language. So a few hundred years after Christ, they, uh, the early church fathers put together a new translation called the Latin Vulgate that was in Latin, okay, which uh, was the modern language of the day. In the, in the Latin Vulgate, when it says the manifestation of the Spirit, the Greek word is phaneros, uh, where we get the word photography or light to, to like appear, okay? The Latin, they used a Latin word, which <clears throat> one translation was like a dancing hand, you know, kind of. The idea was of almost like uh, light reflecting, say, on, on, on a really bright afternoon if there was a body of water and there were ripples and the light just seems to be dancing. It's kind of that imagery, but it's just, and I'm not trying to make hay out of this too much, but isn't it fascinating, you know, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone to profit the whole group. This idea of just, boom, you know, word of knowledge, miracles, discernment, uh, word of wisdom, faith, boom, 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 just kind of dances around. And so, it's so opposite that constituted, this is my gift picture. So let's look at those those gifts that are at least mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Wisdom or word of wisdom versus knowledge or word of knowledge. The idea is a little snippet of wisdom or a little snippet of knowledge. The word may not necessarily be uh, a, a word. It could be a sentence. It could be a paragraph. But the idea is just a, a, when, when the Holy Spirit seems to drop into your spirit something you didn't know. Now, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is, is facts, right? And wisdom, how would you describe wisdom as opposed to knowledge? Timing. What's that? Timing. Timing is everything, that's for sure. Um, with that, maybe... Say that again? The ability, the ability to apply the knowledge, yeah. The, the wisdom, a lot of people have knowledge, a lot of folks don't have wisdom. Will we all agree? Wisdom seems to be lacking, whereas knowledge... Uh, you know, there's an abundance of that. However, there's times where, like I mentioned that story at the beginning, where he saw this guy across the aisle in the airplane, and the word adultery, just it just drops in his spirit or his heart. Now, some of you uh, have had God drop a word of knowledge, if you will, a knowledge. How, how does it, how would you describe it? I mean, did you see the the, the written word? Did you just hear it? Did it just come into your... And I'm not saying there's not a right answer at all because uh, all of us are very different in the way, just in the way we're uh, created. And so God speaks to us all differently. But 
some of you might share, how, do you, how have you had that happen? Where you just suddenly became a, a little bit of knowledge, some information that you did not personally discover. That it just showed up. How did, how did you know that was kind of like maybe God? Karen. Okay. So literally, a word just dropped in there that you were not familiar with, eradicate, that brought light to the, this, the, the healing situation. Somebody else. Kathy. A little louder for everybody. Kathy said, you, might just, there, you look at them and there's no logical reason you would have behind that. I was at a, um, gosh, this was years ago. I'm trying to, our, young, our son Kevin was like six months old. We were at a pastor's conference and he's turning 30 this year. So I guess that makes it about 29, 29 years ago. Uh, and we were at this conference and the worship leader, the guy leading worship, there was a woman next to him. And I just saw him look over at her and something troubled me. And all of a sudden it just it said, she's not his wife and they're in love with each other. But they're married to two different people. I just knew this. And I had no, I mean, I'd never met this man in my life. I was in Ohio. I remember at a conference and I don't even know where the guy was from. And it was just, and for uh, three or four more songs, it just was driving me crazy because every time I looked at him, I knew that there was something going on with these two. He was a pastor. And I just, I didn't know what to do with it. So finally, I saw uh, Todd Hunter, who was one of the leaders of the Vineyard Churches at at that time, uh, was in the back. And I went up to Todd and I said, he knew me a little bit. I said, look, you know I'm not a goofball. At least, I mean, I am maybe, but, you know, at least you know me. I said, I don't know what to do with this because I don't even know who the guy is. I have no idea. And I'm just going to tell you, and and I'm not going to, expect you to respond back to me in any way because I don't want to ruin this guy's life. I don't want to start rumors, but I cannot. I was so unsettled, I had to say something. So I told him, and he took note. He goes, okay, and I, and I left. A week later, I didn't think about it. Todd calls me and he says, John Wimber wants to talk to you. I went, oh, shoot, <laughs> you know, the boss. Go, what? And he said, well, John and him were flying to another area with that same guy because they were doing some other smaller conference and that guy was the worship guy. And John made some comment to Todd about that worship leader's wife. And he said, oh, that's not his wife. And John said, it's not? And Todd said, no. And John said, is there something going on there? And Todd said, you know, Stephen Todd, the guy in Colorado, he, he came to me with the same. He goes, what did he come to with you? And it's like, all of a sudden, this, it turns out it was all true. I mean, and they, I mean it was... It ended up being, a, obviously, a, a very complicated situation. I was just a small part in that. 
I wasn't trying to ruin this guy's life or ministry, or, you know, but at the same time, this was stuff that had to be brought to the light, you know, and God had to deal with. And I'm just this guy sitting there, we're trying to worship, and this thought comes into my head. You know, I didn't, in fact, I wished it wouldn't have. Except that maybe somebody else wouldn't have known who to go to, and I knew the guy in the back was. You know what I mean? So maybe, so maybe God just says, oh, I, I, I got to deal with this guy. He's being a jerk. Uh, Stephen knows him. Boom. You know, just, there's the little gift. Boom. It drops. And so then I share with him and, you know, yeah. You might also, when you hear a, hear a word like that, you might also hear a loud robotic voice saying, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. You don't know Stacey Robinson being in that. Yeah. Yeah. And one strategy is somebody that was o- over me in authority. And then you get a word. Yes. Yeah. That's a great bit of advice. Look at them expectedly. And let the Holy Spirit just... And it may not be always a negative word. It may not be about a sin in their life. It may be about a hurt that's unresolved. And then, I know you've seen this one, just suddenly the water works start, you know? And again, at that point, it doesn't take great discernment to know the Holy Spirit is moving in some way and you can just kind of press in a little bit there. It's always better to pray than to confront the person with what you think is a word if it's a negative word, you know? In my case, I, I tried for the longest time to pray it through and the word just wouldn't leave, but I had no relationship with the guy on the stage and I felt completely, you know, hand-strung in a sense. And so I went to my spiritual authority and my pastor in this setting and kind of laid it on him because I didn't know what else to do, honestly, you know? Um, what do you do if you get, you're praying for somebody, they come after for prayer, or during the, there's a prayer time in the middle of the service, and all of a sudden you get a weird word. What do you do? I mean, it's kind of strange, you know, like, yeah. My first response is always just to wait and do nothing and see if it goes away. That's not bad. If it goes away, it's probably me or some <laughs> evil spirit trying to interrupt things, which, which is both very, very possible. So don't assume and jump in and, you know, yeah, try to fix it. So what, somebody, what do you do? Yeah. Loud enough for the folks in the back. Word pictures, okay. A maple leaf, okay. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Somebody up here raised their hand. Yeah. Okay. And here's another thought too. 
Sometimes the Lord is dropping this into your spirit, not so you have to immediately speak it out, but so that you can enter into prayer and intercession on behalf of that person. Just because God gives you that word doesn't mean you're immediately supposed to speak it out. In fact, could it be that he's giving you that word so that you can be more effective in praying for the person, not so that you just you know, blurt it out? And that kind of, in fact, if we were to just jump down to the idea of prophecy. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy is for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. It doesn't even list foretelling the future in that little triad. Now, I'm not saying that prophecy can't involve future things, but I think we need to, our, we misunderstand, sometimes we take the biblical uh, New Testament spiritual gift of prophecy and relate it to the Old Testament office of prophet, which was a different sort of responsibility. You know, um, some people suggest that maybe a better term for prophecy is not so much foretelling as forthtelling, speaking out what God is speaking at a moment or in a particular situation. Just because you hear it, does that mean you have to say it? Uh-uh. Maybe, maybe you're going to know it for the longest time and you're going to be involved in intercessory prayer so that they can be receptive at some point to hearing it. You know? Now, I had, <clears throat> I had a friend. Okay, I'm, I'm now, you know, I pastored for many years and then I uh, transitioned out of my pastorate and went into mission work, you know, and then uh, last year, uh, Pastor Brady Boyd called me one morning uh, out of the blue. Uh, it really kind of threw me. I mean, I know Brady, but called me because uh, the president of the, the new president of the King's University, where they moved their new campus, and he called Brady to say, we want, we'd like to bring on a director for the Colorado Springs campus and somebody that could operate at, at a pastoral level rather than an administrative sort of level, which was what a uh, coordinator had done in the past there. And, and uh, Dr. Sperling said to Brady, he knew Brady from their gateway days uh, when they were at Gateway Church together. He said, do you know anybody? And Brady said, I know a guy. And so Brady called me. Uh, I was kind of shocked. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, told him, yeah, you can give this guy my name. 25 minutes later, that guy calls me, which meant for 20 minutes, he and Brady were talking about me. <laughs> and then he called me. And next thing you know, two weeks later, they're flying me to Dallas and this whole thing happens. But the way they wanted to do it uh, which makes sense. They really want the partnership between the church and the university to be strong is while the university funds the position, I'm actually an employee of New Life Church. So I'm on the pastoral staff of New Life Church now, though my, my primary function is, is running the school. Well, about eight years ago, nine years ago, we were in our basement with some good friends of ours, and he kind of operates prophetically, but he always is insecure about it. Anybody know that one? You know, and he's a nice guy. He's one of my close, really close friends. And all of a sudden, he just, he says, you know what just, he said, I think you're going to be on this, this, uh, I should back up. This was when Ted was still here, uh, before the scandal. And while I'd known Ted for years, I knew I really didn't want to work on his staff. Okay. If I can just be blunt, it was just not something I wanted to do. And maybe so it was about 10 years ago. And all of a sudden he just says, I, I just got a picture. You're going to be on the pastoral staff in New Life Church. And I looked at him and I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, I just, I just got this word. I said, I don't care what we got. That ain't going to happen, man. And I remember, I, I remember it to this day because I have a pool table in our basement. And he was sitting there. He was standing there because we've been playing pool. And he just kind of drops the cue ball. And he goes, I don't know, man. That's what I saw. And I remember just saying, no, <laughs> you know, that's not from God. 
Now, years later, it was like, and we, we kind of forgot about it because I thought, how weird. I remember telling Linda and several times we were saying, man, he couldn't have been more off, you know? When the scandal hit, it was like, sheesh, he called that one wrong. I mean, you know? And so it was like, just after this whole thing happened, we were in our basement again. They were over, and he, they were talking about the new position. And I said, well, actually, I, it's kind of interesting because while I'm, I'm, I'm working with the university, I'm actually on the pastoral staff at the church. And he looks over at the pool table. You know, talking about association. And he looks at me, and I said, oh, shut up. You know? <laughs> now, the question is, I don't know. He told me later, he said, you know, I always felt bad having said that because I felt like the Lord didn't release me to tell you but that I was just supposed to pray for you. And that he'd kind of blown it by saying it. And it, was, it wasn't irreparable. You know what I mean? We're still friends and we laugh about it now. But the point being, just because you hear it doesn't mean you have to immediately say it. You know? So sometimes you may keep it under wraps for years and just pray. Just pray. You know? Faith and gifts of healing and working of miracles. I'm not convinced when I read the original text, and even when I've explored the text in the original languages in 1 Corinthians, I'm not convinced that those are as much three distinct separate gifts as they are separate manifestations of the same working of the Spirit, just like it says in that passage. Because to raise, to raise somebody up from paralysis, to uh, pray for someone to be healed of cancer, takes healing and miracles and faith and all of those things working interchangeably. And so I don't think it's as much I have a gift of healing as much as we are a team praying for healing and God is going to anoint and give different parts of that ministry equation, if you will, throughout the group. There's not the one guy who's got the gift. I really believe it's a... It's, I don't believe it. I see it clearly in the pages of the scripture we just read that it was intended to be a team sport. I just don't see a healer in the, in the New Testament. Now, I see, you know, examples where, you know, the people are trying to put him in the shadow of Peter. I don't see Peter organizing that or having an advanced man organizing that. I just see that being their response to what God was doing. But every time I read, I always see pairs of people and groups of people and they're praying. Do you think Peter went to the temple with the intention that he was going to say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee? No, it was, the guy said, you have any gold or silver? And Peter's pockets are empty, and he says, oh, I don't got any silver, but what? And suddenly, he moves in, a, in a, a gift of faith and speaks healing, and the guy is healed. I don't think Peter planned that at all, but it just dropped on him. Yeah, Joe. Yes, yeah, I remember that. I think that has to do with one. When someone, like when Paul says, Timothy or Titus, don't lay hands on anyone. Right. I think that's a time when he's really looking at the person and assessing him and what he can discern, but also checking in with God. That's a great point. Joe's point for the tape was in that passage. It says he had a fixed gaze or he, he looked and Joe recalls too, the, the Greek is very poignant. He, he, he fixated on him right there and looked. That checking in with God, not just assessing the, assessing the situation, 
That's right. That may, almost lends itself towards that, those first two parts where the ministry diagnosis. What are you asking for? And Lord, what are you telling us right now? It, it does seem to be, uh, because otherwise it was just another beggar. And he probably ignored several beggars on his way to suddenly in, interacting with that one beggar. No doubt. Um, and then <clears throat> discerning of spirits, distinguishing between spirits, uh, that one, my wife Linda operates very strongly in, and she doesn't have to try. She just, she just immediately knows in her spirit, her gut, her whatever. Uh, one pastor used to say, "You know, down in your knower, <laughs> you know, if something was off, if something was just, it's like that. This is that's that that's not right. That's not right. You know that sense that you just something's not right, and that's helpful." You know, because then you know if that's not right, we got to pray that God would remove it. You know, and then we're not going to spend a lot of time this morning on tongues and interpretation. Uh, there's so much that's been written on them. Interpretation of tongues clearly seems to be in the context of a worship service for that purpose. Tongues having a primary uh, purpose of one's personal devotional life with the exception of the, those more restricted parameters of a worship service. Why do we not see more of it today in a larger setting? This may be a cop-out, but it is also a cultural and sociological reality. In a day prior to any kind of um, large buildings and sound systems, congregations were clearly more like we would call house churches today. You didn't have thousands, you had dozens maybe. And so... To one is given a word, to one is given a song, to one is given a tongue, to one is given a prophecy. Makes a lot more sense when there's, you know, 25 people there and half of them have some participatory part in that service as opposed to 800 people and five people have, you know what I'm saying? So maybe that's a cop-out, but uh, some have asked, you know, why do we not have, you know, like a prophecy microphone? Um, I could make a lot of... (laughs) comments about it but i'll suffice to say because it's not real practical to 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 see our experience has not been that 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 necessarily is the best environment for the kind of ministry of the spirit we see in first corinthians 12 i think in the small group setting it just is far far more able to look like what we read in the scriptures to where you have a relationship with the person, you can pray around the table and you can say, I, this is crazy, but I, this word eradicate just dropped in my mind when you talked about the sickness that you're dealing with and can we just pray about that right now? And now all of a sudden somebody else says, I, the, 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 there's just somebody all of a sudden that gets up and they want to be the first one laying hands. Maybe they're the one God has just given the gift of faith to. And so suddenly there's ministry going on. you know. And I still think the prophecy is best Best when it's it's um, couched in a lot of intercessory prayer and a humility rather than a bombastic, thus saith the Lord, you know? I mean, okay, I was, my, my, understand, my theological understanding of it has changed. My experience hasn't changed. I, I came into the gifts of the Spirit through the traditional Pentecostal charismatic movement. And so what I would have told you years ago was that 
on March 11th, 1972, when I was a kid in high school, that I received the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, according to Acts 2, verse 4, because that's the way we were taught it happened. Um, now I would say salvation is the consummate uh, charismatic experience, and we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, but I did have an initial empowering of the Holy Spirit and filling of the Holy Spirit on that Wednesday night in March, and I've had many subsequent empowerings and infillings of the Holy Spirit since then. That's how I would probably change it. It doesn't change the experience, but it changes my theological understanding of it. Having said that, that's 40, 40, gosh, some years ago. My goodness. I have been in so many meetings and heard so many alleged prophecies that were... How many here have ever heard a a prophecy that probably wasn't the Word of God? (laughs) As every hand goes up. How many have heard more of those than they've heard? I mean, they're not of the devil. They're just, you know, thus saith the Lord, my children, I love thee, yea, and I even have... I mean, it's just like King James E's uh, sentimentality and Hallmark cards, you know, and, and yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Well, that's true. It's scripture, you know, and, and yea, even I, whatever. But when there's those words that God speaks to somebody... I remember at a vineyard conference early on when we, a guy stood up trembling and he said, I just got this word. This was at the beginning of the vineyard movement when we were starting to uh, minister within the Church of England, over in England and, and, and traditional churches and, and kind of help bring revival and renewal into these mainline denominations. And the word was, I have, the Lord said, I am calling you, this was our, our movement, I am calling you to love my whole church in the same way I love my whole church. And that became, I mean, we went from that into a prayer meeting for about a half hour because it kind of became part of our DNA that we were going to make sure that we were not intentionally divisive and give what we had. And it really, it really expressed itself in worship music. You know, Vineyard back in the 80s and early 90s was, was a leader in, in, in some of the worship transformation and we were freely giving it away particularly within the mainline churches to where you can go into any baptist presbyterian church today and sing old vineyard songs you know because of a prophetic word that just it it just kind of shifted and and sent our trajectory i'm calling you to love my whole church just as i love my whole church we couldn't be this way so Prophecy can have a powerful effect, but um, most of all, God wants us to be a team sport. You know, so if we're gonna we want to. Oh gosh, how does the time always fly? Um, want to see if there's anybody that has any prayer needs today. First of all, though, is there any other questions? I know there's just been a snippet. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
you know, authority and power are always linked together in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, right that's a good word that's a good word yeah you know <laughs> well most of them are mm-hmm That's a good word uh, for the sake of the uh, the tape. But authority, authority and power are so linked. Authority without power is kind of toothless. It's like a cop having a badge but no gun, and power without authority is is reckless, because it's having the gun with no legal authority. That's right. Joe, a prophecy. I agree, Joe. I, I, as you were saying that, I thought, that's a prophetic word. It was, and, it was, and it was bugging her. It was unsettling her. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Martha, would you do us a... Mm-hmm. Martha, it's Martha, right? No, 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 I, no, 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 I want you to pray. It's Martha, it's Martha, right? Would you pray for us? You had the word. Would you, um, because it, it is 1030, but would you right now, I ask you to stand just so that we can hear you better. Would you pray over all of us just as a closing prayer and pray for this? Would you do that for us? Please? I know. It, no, no, no. I, it, just, just get up and start praying. And just pray that the, what's in your heart about the Lord doing that in the church. If you, let's just open our hearts to the Lord right now. Amen. Just go ahead and, and just, just speak it out in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Yes, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just surrender to you. As our sister has spoken forth a word, Lord, that's, that has both troubled and excited our spirits, we say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for being part of the problem, part of the reason that authority and power has really been stolen from the church. Lord, we surrender to you and we say, use us, Lord. Hear my Lord, send me. Lord God, we thank you for your love, for your church. We thank you for your desire to touch and to move in people's lives. Use us, Lord God. Be, be so ever-present in our lives. And we, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your infilling and we ask for for your empowering, and we ask for your commission, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.